Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 1? Today we begin a verse-by-verse study through the New Testament book of Colossians. It's a series that I'm calling Rooted. And we begin in Colossians chapter 1. If you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, that's page 1,352. Keep a bookmark there. We'll be in this wonderful letter for several weeks here on Sunday mornings. Father, I ask your blessing now as we consider your word. Your word never returns void. You always have a purpose that you're wanting to accomplish. And I pray that we'd be in tune. We would have those ears to hear, those hearts to receive what you have for us. Bless our time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why do people select a church to attend? What are people looking for in a local church? Well, Pew Research did a massive study on this, asking folks for the reasons why they chose a particular church. Here are the top seven reasons why people select a church to attend in America. Number one, and number one by far, the quality of the sermons. Well, that doesn't put any pressure on the pastor, does it? (laughs) Number two, feeling welcomed by the leaders of the church. Number three, the style of the service. Is it contemporary or liturgical, formal? Number four, location. Where is that local church located? Number five, education for kids. Number six, having friends or family already in the congregation. And number seven, the availability of volunteer opportunities. Now, those are interesting reasons. Some of them very American, I think but definitely reasons to ponder and consider. Well, let's find out this morning what Paul the Apostle considers to be most important in a local church. Paul was perhaps the greatest church planner in all of history. He's the expert on churches. And of all people, he should certainly know what makes a church successful and beautiful in the eyes of of the Lord, not the results of some survey. So let's find out what that beautiful church looks like. Look at verse 1, here in Colossians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So understand that this New Testament book that we call Colossians is simply a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to a church that was located in this city long ago called Colossae. So Colossians, Colossae. That church in Colossae was a beautiful church. It was a healthy church. It's a church 
that every church should seek to be like. Everything about it. In fact, the story in which that church was founded in Colossae is a beautiful story. When Paul was on his second missionary journey, he spent about two to three years in the city called Ephesus. And he planted a church there in Ephesus, and he pastored there for a couple of years. Well, about a hundred miles inland from the city of Ephesus was this region called the Lycus River Valley. And there were three cities located in that valley, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. There were two guys that lived in that area. One of the man's name was Epaphras, and the other guy's name was Philemon. And those two guys went to Ephesus on business of some sort, and by divine providence, guess who they met? Paul. They became friends with Paul. And guess what Paul did? Well, Paul being Paul, he led them to Christ. They became Christians. And over the next several weeks and months as they were in town, Paul mentored them. They became strong in the faith. Eventually, Epaphras went back to his home region, planted three churches. A church in Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. And the church that was planted in Colossae met at the home that was owned by that other guy named Philemon. What a great story. You know, Paul did not plant the church in Colossae. It's highly likely that he never even visited the church in Colossae. He probably never met any of those folks face to face. Colossae, that church there, was like a third generation church. Paul's home church was in Antioch. He travels to Ephesus. He plants a church there. He leads those two guys to Christ. They go back home and start that local church in Colossae. And that's the way that the church has grown over the last 2,000 years. The expansion of the church. That same scenario has been repeated over and over. In fact, you could think of our church here as a third generation church. Our mother church, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, founded by Chuck Smith there in California. A church came out of there, located in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque. That's where I grew up. That's where I was maturing in the Lord. And then by God's grace, Kim and I moved here to El Paso and planted this church. And then by God's grace, there's been other Calvary chapels that have come out of this church. Every church has its story. And think of all the local churches that have been established over the last 2,000 years. In every nation and tongue, despite all of the opposition. You know, way back in Matthew chapter 16, before there was a single local church on planet Earth, Jesus made this promise to Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And Jesus has kept that promise, hasn't he? He's still building his church today. And he built that beautiful little church located in Colossae so long ago. 
I want you to notice how he refers to that church in verse 2, how he refers to all the different members of that church. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Notice that he called all of the Christians in that local church saints. They were all saints. Now, did you realize that the New Testament refers to all Christians as saints? If you are a born-again Christian, you are a saint. Now, a lot of people misunderstand that. Some might think the saints are a football team from New Orleans. But I suspect that most people think of a saint as, you know, the super elite Christian in history. You know, the ones that reach those advanced levels of holiness and piety. The ones that were formally canonized by some church somewhere. The New Testament makes no such distinction. All Christians are saints. You're a saint. If you're a born-again Christian. Saint Terry. Saint Kim. Hopefully there's no Bernards in here, right? Saint Bernard. (laughs) That word saint. Beautiful word. You know what saint means? It means someone who has been set apart. That's all it means. When you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you became one of his people. And you were set apart from the West rest of the world to belong specifically to him. And even the word church in Greek speaks of the called out ones of God. Understand that as a Christian, you are special. You have been set apart to be one of God's special people. And think of the responsibilities that comes with that. You notice also that Paul refers to them as the faithful brethren. Paul thought of every Christian as a brother and sister in Christ. And I love that about Paul. You know, Paul was the apostle. He's like the pastor, the evangelist. And he would lead many people to Christ like Timothy and Epaphras and Philemon. And he would mentor them. And he was clearly way more mature than them. But he would always refer to them as brother. Family members. There was a complete lack of formalism in Paul's attitude. He didn't have this clergy laity attitude towards people. There was no thought of a hierarchy of church dignitaries with pompous titles and distinguishing Clothing. I love that about Paul. You were just his bro. And I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful way to think of a local church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a family together. That's what the local church in Colossae was. That's what our church needs to be. You notice in verse 2 that that church basically lived in two dimensions. They had two addresses, so to speak. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. 
The local church had a spiritual address. They were in Christ. Now that is a beautiful way to think of a church and as a Christian. When you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're joined to Christ. You're bonded with Christ. You are in Christ. And all believers together have partaken of all that Christ has done, all that he was and is, and all that he ever will be. This expression, in Christ, conveys more of an intimacy, acceptance, and security than any human mind can understand. You're in Christ. But then they also had a geographical address, didn't they? They were in Colossae. God had placed that beautiful little church in that city. And by the way, the city of Colossae was not a special place from a worldly standpoint back then. Colossae actually had been a very powerful, well-known, famous place in its past. But by the time Paul wrote this letter, it had become a a run-down, forgotten city. Hierapolis and Laodicea had taken over. So from a worldly standpoint, Colossae was probably the smallest and least important city that Paul ever wrote to. In fact, Colossae's not even mentioned in the book of Acts. Nobody would have ever heard of Colossae or the church in Colossae were it not for this letter. And yet, that little church in that little rundown city was so important. God had placed that church there. And I believe that every single local church is important. Every church all over planet Earth. There's a plan. There's a story. God wants to do something. From the biggest mega church to the smallest house church. To the churches located in San Francisco and Los Angeles and Paris. To the churches located in Chaparral, New Mexico. Anthony Canyotillo. Yes, even to the church located on the west side of El Paso, this little church called Calvary Chapel, Sun City, along with all of the other amazing, wonderful churches that God has planted in this area. Every church has a geographical location to impact, to be a part of what God is doing. You know, all of this to say, Christian, you matter. And you are part of something extremely beautiful. You are one of God's called out ones. You're a child in his family. You are in Christ. And God has placed you in a local church where you can be involved and watch God work in and through your life. What a great description of a beautiful church there. Now notice as we go on in the letter that Paul gives thanks for some qualities of that church. Look at verse 3. He says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your what? Faith in Christ Jesus and of your what? 
love for all of the saints because of the what? Hope, which is laid up for you. Those three words, faith, love, hope. Those are the primary essential qualities of a healthy church, of a beautiful church. Faith, love, hope. Those three words are mentioned together numerous times in Scripture, and they're sort of an apostolic shorthand for genuine Christianity. And that local church had all three. They had the perfect trifecta of Christian qualities. Their church was known, first of all, for faith. Faith in Christ Jesus. A healthy church is known for faith in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of people speak about faith today, and a lot of people speak about it in a very general term. They say, oh, you just got to have faith, man. You just got to believe. And there's this, sen- this mentality that it's almost like you have a faith in faith. But that's not accurate. Your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And in a Christian church, they are known for their faith in the person of Christ Jesus. And so we believe in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We believe he's the son of God. We believe he left heaven and he became man. We believe that he went to the cross and offered his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. We believe on the third day he rose again. We believe that he ascended. We believe that right now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. We believe that one day, and I think very soon, he's coming again. And we believe that salvation comes through faith in him. And we obey Jesus by faith. And we seek to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what a church should be known for. And I would challenge every member of this local church that that's what you should be known for. Your faith in Christ Jesus. Not so much your faith in a religion or a creed or some activity but your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. A local church is a community of men and women that have a faith and know what it is. And they know how to articulate it. And they know how to express it. And they know how to share it. The great George Whitfield once was witnessing to a man and he asked the guy, what do you believe? And the man replied, well, I believe what my church believes. And so Whitfield asked him, what does your church believe? And this guy said, well, they believe what I believe. (laughs) Undaunted, Whitfield tried again and asked, well, what do you both believe? And this guy says, well, we both believe the same thing. (laughs) Every Christian should be able to articulate their faith. Why they believe. And a church is made up of those people that have that same faith. And they're known for it. 
What do you believe? That church in Colossae was also known for their love. Paul says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. That is a healthy local church. The family of God that loves one another. That little church in Colossae was known for their love for all the saints. And so should our church be known for that. In fact, I believe that love really is the most distinguishing mark of a Christian life and of a local church, or at least it should be. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we're to be known for that. Notice it says that they loved all the saints, and we're to love all the saints too. The saints that you gel with and the saints that you don't. The saints that you get along with easily, the saints that you have to work harder. And certainly we should have a love for all of the saints, even those outside of our own local fellowship, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ here in El Paso, throughout the world. We love one another. And I'll tell you what, when you're a part of a a beautiful little family of God in a local church, there's so many opportunities for you to love. I mean, we're here to support one another, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to help each other grow. You know, to be there for one another when we're going through hard times, somebody gets sick, somebody's in the hospital, we visit, we provide meals, somebody loses a loved one, somebody's going through a financial difficulty. Oh, there's so many ways to love one another in a local Christian church. And I would strongly encourage you to get involved in this family. If this is your local church, if God has led you here, get involved and be a part of helping others here. A man came to a pastor one time and said, I don't know what's wrong with my life, but that first Christian joy I knew has passed by. I still live a moral life. I still go to church, but how can I recover the lost radiance of my faith? And his pastor said, this is what you should do. Go to the store and buy a big basket full of groceries and go to an address of a poor family I will give you. Then when you've given your gift, you sit down with them to find out what they need. Let them know that you're interested in them and that you are their friend. Then lead them in the Lord's Prayer before you leave and the radiance of Christ will come back to your life. I think that is so true. Being used by the Lord Jesus to help others. Experiencing his blessing by being both the recipient at your time of need and the giver at other times of need. Community of love. And then, of course, he mentions hope. He was thankful, verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you 
in heaven. That little church in Colossae became a beacon of hope. A group of God's people exhibiting, showing hope for their community. They had a hope in heaven. They had a hope in the second coming of Jesus. They had this hope that Jesus was with them no matter what they're going through. Now, of all people on planet Earth, should not Christians be the most hopeful? Should every local church be a beacon of hope? All the promises that the Lord has given his church. No matter how dark things may ever look in a person's life, you can give them words of hope. All of the marvelous promises that God has given us. C.S. Lewis said, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward... And the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. So much to be given. So many promises. So that little church was characterized. Faith. Love. And those three qualities make a local church beautiful. And by the way, those three qualities make a Christian man or woman beautiful. Faith, love, hope. Now I want you to notice that Paul was also thankful for the power of the gospel that was at work in their congregation. Look at verse 5 again. He writes, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. How did that church become so beautiful? Through the power, through the transforming work of the gospel message. See, the gospel message is the most powerful message on earth. And the gospel message is the message of the church. It's the message that every local church champions. This beautiful good news. There's a God. He created all things. He created you and he loves you. But God is holy and we live in a sinful world. The human race has fallen into sin and we're sinful. We've all committed sins and sin has caused a train wreck in the experience of the human condition. Sin separates us from the God who loves us and made us. We deserve death, condemnation. But God in his love and grace provided a solution. He sent his son Jesus. 
who left heaven, became man, went to the cross and took the sins of the world upon him, including yours and mine. Died in our place, took our punishment, on the third day rose again. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you will be forgiven, you are set apart, you become a saint, you become a child in the family of God. You are given a life that can be characterized by faith, love, and hope. That's the message. Paul the Apostle got saved through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the message that he preached to Epaphras and Philemon. They got saved. They got changed. They went home and they shared that gospel message with the folks in those cities. They got saved. A church was born. It says that this is a message that goes throughout all of the earth, producing fruit wherever it goes. Every church should be known for that gospel message. Preaching that gospel message. And then living those lives of faith, love, and hope. That's what makes it beautiful. And let me tell you, folks, these are just the staples. These are the things that a local church needs to be a part be about that never change. We as a local church are to be absolutely rooted in those things and nothing should ever change. Now, some of you may wonder why did Paul write this letter? He didn't plant this church. Why did he write, why did he write the book of Colossians? Well, there's a backstory to it. Here's a church that started off so beautifully Many, many years later, Paul's done with his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey. He's a prisoner in a Roman cell. You know, he wrote this book from a prison. That church in Colossae was beautiful, but it was under threat. False teachers were coming in trying to get that local church off track. Epaphras, the pastor isn't sure how to combat it. So he goes to find his pastor. And he travels hundreds of miles, finds Paul in a Roman cell, has some time with Paul, tells Paul about the threats that his beautiful church back home is facing. And Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to rebuke these false heresies to encourage that local church to stay on track. Now, that has been something that is a threat throughout all of church history. You get a beautiful church going, and the enemy always wants to spoil it. So those false teachers come, and the heresies come, and the distractions come. So Paul wrote that letter to tell that local church long ago how to stay track, how to stay rooted. And we still need that letter today. So I'm excited to be going through this letter on Sunday mornings because we're going to learn about the teachings that get us off track. 
and how we as a church can stay rooted. But I want to close this morning by just asking the simple question, are you a member of the church? Have you become a saint? Are you a child in the family of God? Do you know what you believe? I'd love you to have an opportunity to become a member of the church right now through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes together. Please understand that becoming a member of the church is not joining a religion. It's not joining some hierarchy system of religion and piety. The church is a family. Church is a group of people who have simply admitted that they need Christ. They've responded to the gospel message. So I'll ask, have you? Do you believe in Christ? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? If not, then I want you to do so right now. I want you to put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus for salvation. And I'm going to lead you in just a real simple prayer. You just repeat this in your heart after me, if that's what you want. Become a part of this incredible thing that God has done over the last 2,000 years. Being a member of the church. That's you. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender. Right now, I put my faith and my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Take my heart, take my life. Save my soul. Fill me with hope and faith and love. And make me one of yours that will be used in a mighty way by you. Lord, I want to pray for all of us here this morning who know you. Lord, perhaps for those who are a part of this church, you've led them to this church to be involved in this church. God, I pray that they would be involved. I pray that they would be engaged with their brothers and sisters here. I pray that we would be a community known for faith and our love for one another and our hope that we have in you. May your hand of blessing be upon your church in Jesus' name.
Amen.